Hey, this is Nick here. I wanted to send a quick message to the founders out there. If you're raising your first round of capital and you're not located in the Bay Area, New York City, or Boston, we'd love to connect with you. Newstack leads deals for founders that don't fit the standard Silicon Valley profile and are located in undercapitalized areas. If that describes you, or if you know a startup that fits that description, please send us an email. It's team at newstack.vc. Now here's a word from our partners. This episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western is the leading provider of venture debt and banking services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. Welcome to the podcast about investing in startups, where existing investors can learn how to get the best deal possible. And those that have never before invested in startups can learn the keys to success from the venture experts. Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet. Welcome back for episode 35 of The Full Ratchet, where I interview Eric Gasser about startup ecosystems and how his high-tech and high-touch screening process works at the Tech Coast Angels. We will address questions including, how has the San Diego ecosystem evolved over the past decade? What are the necessary components to create a healthy startup ecosystem? What is his position on whether it's the capital or the entrepreneurs that come first and catalyze an ecosystem? And why have some ecosystems reduced in their importance in recent years when we look at the landscape of ecosystems across the states? Those questions and more on this episode of The Full Ratchet, so let's get right into it. Here's the episode on developing startup ecosystems and high-touch screening. Eric Gasser joins us today from San Diego, California. He is co-founder of Seed San Diego, manager at High Camp Ventures, and is a vice president of the high-tech screening board at Tech Coast Angels. Eric, we really appreciate you making time for us today. No problem. So can you start us off by telling us how you got involved in venture and startup investing? Sure. I kind of started probably in early uh, 2005, and I made my first investment and then realized I was in way over my head when I was living in San Francisco and decided to take a step back. Went back to work, and only in the last three years or so have I been hitting it harder than normal. Joined Tech Coast Angels, I decided to just sit back and see how things unfolded. I guess six months in, joined the board and thought I would dig in really around how we screened ideas and how we interacted with the ecosystem. So I spent another four or five months really just talking to founders. And what I found out was that there was this huge gap of perception between the money and the founders. And I don't think this is uncommon in any startup ecosystem. So what I wanted to do was give people more of an opportunity to really meet the angel community. If you want to capture the Tech Coast Angels last 36 months, which based on our numbers really are transformative, we go from right around $4.5 million in funding to where we're at now, closing 2014 at 8.3. So we put 0.3 into the San Diego ecosystem just in 2014, which considering we only did $5.5 million in 2012 is pretty substantial. Think about it from the perspective of the founders, and that's where I try to come at it from. The founder says, I'm in this environment and I've been pounded, if they've been around prior to 2012, that there's really no money and, and that I need to go to the valley because they're going to understand my technology idea. 
And so they go to the valley and they get beat up and then they come back. And then when they come and meet with either Seed San Diego, which have been around longer at San Diego than I have, but they go to TCA and then they say, hey, we pass. They don't really get to see the output. The output is $8.3 million in 16 companies just in San Diego. This isn't like 200K in 50 companies. This is real money for companies that eventually will be something. We are super selective because one, we do more due diligence than most. And I could leave it up to Sergio, who runs kind of our due diligence process. But that process is what drives our ability to fund deals at higher amounts in relatively short periods of time. Why is that? We have 100 plus members here in San Diego. And we have an active group of, say, 50 to 60 who show up to all the meetings, view all the screenings. They participate. They ask really hard questions. They get involved from an engagement perspective. But then you have this other core group of people that I would say is another 20. Within this 50 to 60 people, we're a nonprofit organization. We don't get paid. We actually pride ourselves on making sure we can get it right because we have another 80 people relying on those 20 to actually get it right. So our due diligence reports are some of the more thorough reports, I would say, in the industry. I haven't seen due diligence reports as thorough as TCA outside of some of the major hubs. And so I think people drive to the due diligence report first, they read it, they know they're interested in the space just from what the company does. And that due diligence report gives them a level of comfort and helps mitigate some of the risks that they would normally not have access to if they weren't part of a group or weren't part of a larger network, resulting in higher average check and all the other metrics that are gauged on an investment group or network. That's one of those big areas where if founders had a little peek into what that looks like, they would go, I should be coming there for every idea the first time. And I spend most of my time doing that. I've rewritten or revamped our high-tech screening process, and we can go into that into a little bit more detail, but it's actually really exciting. It's a, there's a higher level of touch point. I'm actually calling every applicant that applies to Techos Angel San Diego on the high tech side. And I'm spending between an hour and four hours on the phone with these people walking through what their idea is. Does it make sense? Is it hitting all the data points that are relevant to what they're trying to build or what they have built? Clearly, we're investing a little bit earlier than most pre-revenue and all those other variables. But I would challenge our process to any other process as far as the amount of touch points we have any day. We're more engaged in the last 36 months than I think we have ever been. What are some of those variables and what does that screening process look like that you engage in early on? So let's start at the very beginning. Say we're at a social event, we meet an entrepreneur who's doing something interesting and we say, you know what, this looks really interesting. We'd love to meet with you. It's clearly too early to kind of put them through the application process. So we have office hours. We bring them in. It's a 45-minute kind of casual conversation, really just get to know the founders. And that meeting consists of an analyst, myself, typically another angel. When we're done with that 45 minutes, we walk away with three things. One is we really like this person and we want to bring them through the process now. We want to keep an eye on this person or there's something wrong, we're not missing anything, just we can pass. The next phase is going through the application process, which would be pre-screening. 
That's a pre-screening application. You apply online on techcoastangels.com. And that application goes to a screening committee. That committee then makes a decision on if we want to bring them in for a 12-minute presentation, 12-minute presentation, 12-minute question and answer. So we get between 10 and 30 of those applications a month. From there, we pick five. From those five, we typically only pick one or two to move on to the following meeting, which is a general session meeting, which then you end up with more members, usually between the 50 and 75 members. The same format, 12 minutes presentation, 12 minutes question and answer. And so throughout the whole process on the tech side, you've engaged with me at the three meeting points. You have someone to call. And that's one of those things that allows them to be more comfortable hit the data points that are most relevant. We're not giving them the answers. We're just saying, look, tell us about your business. We want to help you grow it. And I'm a huge fan of that energy that you get when you realize that they've got it right and that you've helped them better articulate it. Because remember, we're considered early seed to seed deals, seed basically anything prior to series A. That is the generic definition. You think about that, that's what drives my phone bill. I'm on the phone... 32 to 3,400 minutes a month. (laughs) We're looking at like three to five hours a day, some days on the weekends, depending on what's going on. I'll be on the phone back to back to back to back. And so this is new for TCA. This is not something that we've done before. It was kind of a brainchild of a few of us internally that we said, what if we did this? And I'm not doing it on my own. I've got internal support from TCA and some external sources One of the local incubators in town is giving me some space to allow me to meet with these people on their terms. One of the other things that was a little bit of a disconnect was being able to get to the founders. Our founder community lives closer to downtown San Diego, but the money is in Del Mar, La Jolla. And if you've been to San Diego, you know that's only 30 miles, but it could take (laughs) an hour. Right. Sure. So I said, why are we doing this? I'm calling a founder and saying, hey, meet me at this restaurant on the coast in La Jolla and Wild Tacos when I should be actually downtown and I can do three meetings in the same amount of time and I could take less time out of the founder's day. Yep. So I park my butt in a seat there. I'm available all day. I usually go from nine to three. Come in, ask a question, sit with me, tell me what you're doing, tell me what's going on, help me understand what's broken. Is there somebody I know that I can help connect you with to solve a problem? So yeah, I would say that over the last 24 to 36 months, there's been a significant change in the way we screen deals um, on the technology side for Tech Coast Angels in San Diego. Most of the deal flow is coming in just through the application process on the website? The bigger drivers more recently have been our outreach. Founders have realized that things are changing What they'll do is sometimes they'll reach out to me and say, hey, can I get 30 minutes at office hours or could I get 30 minutes downtown? They'll lay out the plan on how they want to go at raising capital. I support and provide feedback based on that and say, hey, look, you need to make sure you address these three data points to make sure that you're successful at raising capital. Have you identified who your target angel investor type will be? And those usually really help prepare the applicants for the process. And then we've got this kind of early look in it, who's out there and what's happening. And have we lost some because they're too prepared and someone else writes a check? Sure. But in the macro sense, 
we're actually doing a lot better good for the founder community and the startup ecosystem than maybe we have done in the past. Got it. So the topic today is venture ecosystems. Eric, you've been an active participant in the emergence of Southern California, namely LA and San Diego, as one of the most vibrant ecosystems in the States. Only about 10 years ago, people would not have included Southern California in this discussion. Can you start us off by talking about the startup and startup funding environment a decade ago and where it has evolved to today? Sure. I think one of the things that I've noticed, especially when I started more in the earlier days, I guess, let's look at 99, 2000, 2001, was typically a buddy-buddy system, less academic and more, let's just get this thing going and see what happens. And um, I trust this guy. I went through three of those failed attempts between 99 and 2002, uh, worked for three different startups and bombed out horribly. Now there's a whole lot more level of friendliness and partnership and wanting to make sure that everyone finds a home, if you will. And especially since we're here in San Diego and kind of the experience that I have in my circle, the level of excitement is a lot higher than it was, let's say, 99 to 2002. It seemed that everyone was making more money back in those days, but we all know where that went. More recently, I think the ecosystem is thriving here in San Diego. It's growing and TCA has done a lot to kind of help improve that process, especially over the last 24 to 36 months, increasing our touch points to the founder community, more outreach, more visibility, and putting more capital work than we ever have in the past. Yeah. So from your standpoint, what are the key components and or players that are necessary to create a healthy ecosystem? One is making sure that the connectivity between capital and the founders is there. You need to know where to go. If you're raising series seed or you've got this great idea, you need to actually know where to go. Organizations in individual communities here in San Diego, there's Connect, there's Evo Nexus, and a whole slew of others that pride themselves on having a community of free thinking and the ability to go there and say, this is my idea and I really want to make it work. That's become the standard based on a Y Combinator and and all the other incubators and accelerators out there, right? They all have their formula. One of the elements that has to happen is the ability to connect those thinkers with the capital. I want to say that there's a lot of people out there that have gotten it right, but I'm probably going to be 98% wrong, right? (laughs) So let's just say that in San Diego, you know where to go. If you want to look for Series A funding, you go to San Diego Venture Group. Those guys can align you with the people to talk to and what's happening. If you're looking for Series C and kind of that first round after friends and family, you go to Tech Coast Angels. We're here. We're visible. That's what creates the ecosystem. It's actually knowing where to go when you're ready for the next step. Incubator, accelerator, depends on where you're at and where you sit in the country. The next thing is that seed funding. And there's lots of folks out there that help with that, especially Tech Coast Angels. And the next element would be, what do I do with that Series A? And it's one of the big things that San Diego has that other ecosystems maybe struggle with is that structure on where to go. Yeah, I get entrepreneurs in Chicago emailing me all the time asking who to connect with for Mm -hmm. seed financing. It's not clear. It's surprising to me because I'm living it. So it's clear to me. But a lot of folks don't know where to go for that seed capital. 
I also think it's the partnership capital piece. I need to engage my counterparts at, let's use Evo Nexus or Connect as good examples. If that connection is strong and you work together as a community, people know where to go. The great ideas and the great companies get funded. It's quick, it's painless, and it works. The folks that sometimes make the most noise are the ones that maybe are working towards a lifestyle company but have different hopes for what their company is. There's just a mismatch of expectations. And we have it in every ecosystem. Up in San Francisco, it's the same thing. If I'm in LA, it's the same thing. If I'm in Orange County, it's the same heads bouncing around looking for cash. And they've been told, you've got something great. Just keep doing it and print money. You're going to be successful. It's going to be really difficult for an investor to get their money back. I don't think that's uniquely San Diego. I think that's general to the whole ecosystem of startups. There's always those. So aside from just connection of entrepreneurs with capital, other components that you think are important or maybe necessary, whether it be regulatory, government components, taxes, I know there's a lot of tax breaks both here and in California for angel investors. Can you talk about some of these factors and the part that they play in the overall funding ecosystem? Let's start one with taxes. In the circles I'm in, typically we don't talk about taxes. We know that it's important and we know that it's, there's a level of complexity that's added to every exit. I'm not too worried about it. And I don't think counterparts are too focused on it as in a majority. The regulatory element, I think you might be kind of looking at crowdfunding and things like that. I'm a huge fan of it. I had two exits in the last year that were crowdfunding. Authy was bought by Twilio and Lyft Labs was bought by Google X. One was in a uh, Rock Health incubator in San Francisco. The other one was a syndicated deal. I believe in that kind of element and it has its place in the ecosystem. To broaden the reach of a startup is really important. If you think that your community is not understanding your message and you've tapped all the resources, it's best to step back and take a real hard look at, are you aligning with the right investor community? The investor is kind of like a customer of yours. And I see this gap all the time. My angels should just know because my numbers make sense. I'm in a $20 billion market and I'm going to get 30% of the market. I'm going to be (laughs) extremely, right? That's what they tell you. Well, let's move the decimal around and let's talk about that. So to be honest, I focus on making sure that you align your message with the investor group that makes the most sense to. And this is kind of off topic a little bit, but I kind of bucket into three types of investors, a passionate investor, an industry investor, and academic or analytical investor an industry person or product person, they've got experience in that industry and they really like it. They say, oh, you're making the coolest widget ever. And I see that it makes a lot of sense and solves a really big problem. It's really easy for them to write a check. The metrics behind it only validate their decision. And the passionate investor could care less. Hey, man, you're a really good guy. I really like you. We had a great cocktail and they write you a check. So you've got these three demographics, in my opinion, and you need to determine where your organization or where your startup fits. And then you can target and build a demographic of what your investor looks like and you start filtering. And that's probably the better route to go. The shotgun effect on investors, I think it's a waste of time. We hear this debate, sort of a chicken or egg debate on what's necessary first to create a thriving ecosystem. 
is it the capital and the investors or is it some really successful entrepreneurs that have some exits and sort of kickstart everything? Uh, do you have a position on what is necessary to sort of catalyze an ecosystem and get it off the ground? Yeah, I think it's just getting organized. That was one of the elements that was struggling, say, three years ago, was the ability to get organized. And once you're organized and you have a structure, things start moving. So back to the earlier example of incubators, early seed funding, and an ability to have that Series A follow-on around. Because that's the biggest fear as an angel. You write the check, though small, in aggregate, it could be bigger than normal, especially considering our group. We could step into a deal at $2 million and lead the round and have our other partners close it out. That's a substantial round for an angel group. It's definitely on the smaller scale relative to the big pie, but it's big relative to the other groups. So I think it goes back to just staying organized and knowing your community, or once you can work through that process, it just clicks. The next piece is capital. Yes, you have to have the right capital players involved. Otherwise, none of that works. So there's a few successful founders that have kind of come back to San Diego and said, look, I'm going to put my money to work. There's a few retired senior folks within big organizations that come back to San Diego and said, look, I'm going to join TCA and I'm going to sit back and I'm just going to cherry pick deals. The ecosystem supports all of that. And as long as you're organized where to go based on where you want to put your money to work, it works. You also need people to understand the risk factors. I've known a few people to kind of step into this space and make a lot of heavy bets real quick, and they're gone, right? They're here for eight months, and then they disappear. So you got to kind of decipher, on, at least on my end, the difference between the folks that are going to do that and the people that are actually going to be here and actually help. Who is it that provides sort of the organization out in San Diego? Is it Tech Coast Angels? Is it an investor group? I agree there's this necessity of organization so that startups know where to go to get financing and the capital sources can connect with each other. How does this go about formulating and how does the organization occur? So one of those elements is plugging into the educational element. So as a startup, regardless of your phase, reach out to any one of the public figures or public entities within San Diego. So if you reached out to Evo Nexus and said, look, I'd like to apply, you've got a whole slew of information available on their website that actually aligns you with where you need to go. So that early level of entry is what does the dissemination of information. If you go to Tech Coast Angels website, we're five chapters spread out from Orange County or LA to, to San Diego you're not going to get some of that specific San Diego-focused next steps. If you raised your Series seed or some seed money and you've got put to work a million and a half, $2 million, you've proved out an MVP, you've got some traction, you're ready to raise a little bit more money, or maybe you're thinking, I'm going to go Series A. If you were in tune with one of those accelerators, incubators, they would actually say, look, San Diego Venture Group is the right way to go. So I rely on those guys to hold that piece together. And then there's other organizations like Seed San Diego, who I'm a part of, that I'm one of four. And we brought that together based on a few things. One, we saw that the four of us were invested in a lot of deals together. And we were like, there's got to be something here. The overlap is just too tremendous. Over about a year, we spent a lot of time together. And then more recently, we decided we should really formalize this and 
go out to the community and say, look, we invest in all areas. We'll go all the way to Series C if we can get in, and we'll go as early as napkins, okay? And we'll do everything in between if we get a good deal. And once we put it all together and we said, look, we can do this big spectrum, we realized that what San Diego was missing is the gel, that piece that you were referring to. Like, We want to not just be the capital, but we also want to say, if we fund your deal, we're going to give you the lightning exposure to as much stuff as possible because we're out in the field. We want you to focus on growing the business. You let us deal with some of these peripheral things that you spend your time doing, which is raise money. We have access to that element. We set milestones that kind of align us so that we can best position that company for their next round of funding. So from a Seed San Diego perspective, it's all about staying focused on what we're trying to accomplish, relieving some of that founder time when it comes to what they need to do to raise the next round of funding because we've done it so many times. And when they do get to that funding element where they're going to raise money, we actually do a lot of the background for them. So we'll schedule appointments, we'll share our Rolodexes, we'll go out and meet with people, we'll do whatever it takes to get them that next round. There's some venture ecosystems, regional ecosystems that have either declined or lost a percentage of their share in the overall funding landscape of the states. Any thoughts on factors that may adversely impact regional ecosystems and their level of funding activity? Yeah, Tech Coast Angels, we, and you could talk to Jeff Dre, is president of Tech Coast Angels San Diego. We actually looked at this. What could impact the ability for angels to kind of not exist? What happens if crowdfunding and deals syndicate on angels list and the slew of them, right? There's what, 12 or more now. How does that impact our ability to grow our own ecosystem? Kind of back to an earlier comment, good deals get funding. So if they're going to go raise money from the crowd, I don't mind. It actually mitigates risk. It allows them to prove out MVPs, get a little bit of traction. And I would say a year ago, I applied more weight to, say, Angels List or our crowd or some of the other platforms. And our crowd's probably more unique than the rest, but I'm not too worried about it. I think it actually helps mitigate risk for the angel community. And I've backed, what, 120 or something Kickstarters because I love it. I'm addicted. I'm just a Kickstarter junkie. And from an angel list perspective, I've done, what, four or five deals on there. And I do it really just as a token of like, I support what you're doing. Here's 10 grand or here's five or whatever. I don't do it from a perspective of this is actually going somewhere. I need to step in heavy and because I can't really help them. Authy and Lift Labs, which were the two exits, I believe they're greater causes. I didn't think that they were actually going to exit so quickly. I mean, they exited in 10 months. That doesn't happen. I wrote the check in November, and then literally the following November, I got my notice. And Authy was almost the same way. I think it was January or something, and I got my notice the following January. And I'm not saying these are tremendous exits. I'm just saying they validate the model, and they also validate the crowd actually could pick a winner. I mean, Offy raises $2 million or something. Some would argue that they should have kept going. Maybe they would have done better. I disagree. I think that those exits actually validated the model and there'll be a plenty more. So if it's not crowdfunding that's going to disrupt regional ecosystems, any factors that have and uh, things to look out for? Sure. I think it's one of the elements is the uprise of all of the incubators and accelerators. We've got this massive explosion of these organizations. 
And a lot of them are backed either by for-profit, seems to be the trend. There's a few that are nonprofit, which I actually tend to focus more towards. If it's academic or nonprofit, I actually feel that they have a vested interest in the entrepreneur more because there's no motive. The for-profits, all they want to do is generate cash. So I do bias the nonprofits. But I think eventually, if we have a financial downturn, it's going to be really hard for these people to continue to entertain their LPs and grow the for-profit side if they're not having any exits. Because those exits are what generate typically the capital to stay in life. So I would just take a look at how they're functioning Ultimately, what's going to happen, the nonprofits are going to have a few wins and they're going to go, you know what, this is super worth it. Our backers see value and great. And some would argue a downturn would mean that their contributors wouldn't contribute anymore. I get it. But ultimately, I believe everyone's really a good hearted person. And I think that those elements in the nonprofit ones will kill it and do well. The for profit, what ends up happening, I think, long term is they end up getting to a point where instead of having 15 and shared spaces, and I'm using accelerators and incubators lumped together, though I think your listeners would argue and probably yell at the screen already a few times. (laughs) But the thought is that they're adding value. It's just, I think there's a different motive. And if they don't have those exits, they're not going to exist. I get a number of emails from angels many in smaller markets. Do you have any advice or thoughts on what investors in these small markets can do to help establish and support or help grow their ecosystems? It comes down to organization, staying organized. If there's 10 of you or five of you or two of you, I was at the ACA, which is the annual convention for accredited investors here. It was in San Diego this year. San Diego this year. Yeah, it was in San Diego this year. And I was on a panel, which was the uh, power of angels, like the very first day in the morning, it was, uh, should I angel invest or not? There were a lot of smaller organizations under 30 members that I had a Tech Coast Angels badge on and they were going, hey, you guys are doing something right. Can you share? And the answer is yes. I'm happy to take any call from any small group that wants to start something Anywhere in the country, the world, I'm working with a few people right now based on that conference. And really, it comes down to organization. If you feel that you have what it takes to lead an organization, then great. Start this group within your community. Reach out to counterparts that are doing something similar in the nearest biggest city. And then make the time to coordinate with them to syndicate deals. That's how you're going to bring the smaller organizations and kind of connect them to the grid, if you will. You're saying, I'm small, and I'm going to work on my own community, but I also need deal flow, and I also need some standards, and I also need some things that maybe I don't have now, but I can kind of connect with this group in a more urban environment. That seems to be helpful. I did something similar to that when we lived in LA, because the vibe in LA was Basically, there was just too much traffic. I couldn't get to the meetings on time. (laughs) (laughs) I live in South Pasadena. There's got to be something around here for me. And there's a great group in Pasadena. But I had this travel conflict thing. And I was just like, there's no way I can get there in an hour. So anyways, I'm a big in-person fan. I like doing things in person. Connecting those small groups to a larger network. And they don't have to be affiliated. They just have to understand like there's a larger group in town. And here's what ends up happening. Our group's based in San Diego. Our meetings are in the Del Mar area. We get applications from people in Temecula, which is an hour away. If there was a group in Temecula 
Now there probably is, and they're going to call me. I know there's a lot going on in Temecula. That's why I'm using them as an example. We don't want the founders to drive all the way to San Diego in 20-minute meeting, right? I mean, that doesn't make sense. Why don't we have a group in Temecula take a look at the deal? Tell us what they think. Help us. We're happy to participate. We're happy to help with due diligence, especially if it's a deal aligns with our members. We're happy to do a lot of things to help empower them to make the right decisions as long as ultimately it impacts our members. We're a member-driven organization, and my responsibilities are to make sure I get as many qualified deals in front of our members as possible. Smaller groups in the more remote communities kind of tap into the nearest largest city and say, look, we want to look at all your deals. Stay organized. Have some sort of monthly or quarterly meeting where you get together and talk about what you're doing. Use crowdfunding as a way to kind of connect with outside world to see what's happening. I screen a lot of deals. I have to be connected with what else is happening outside of San Diego. I rely on infrastructure like Angels List and others to help feed me information and deals. And I also rely on other sources that are just basically my network that says, hey, did you know there's five new credit card companies? It just red flags me on what to do next, right? At this point, if you're a VC, you've heard of Carta. You've probably even accepted securities from a portfolio company on the platform. It feels like every new company is using Carta, and there's already 16,000 VC-backed companies on the platform. They also offer tools and services for VCs like fund administration. Carta has an army of fund accountants delivering high-quality service and dedicated teams of engineers constantly improving the functionality of their user-friendly investor platform with in-app quarterly reporting, real-time fund metrics, LP portals, and more. It's also easy to switch from an existing fund administrator or to augment your in-house team with their service. Learn more about their services at carta.com forward slash investors. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western specializes in providing financial services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors, helping to navigate financial obstacles by providing access to funds and expertise. Pacific Western's customized products and team of venture banking specialists provides a banking experience designed specifically with startups and VCs in mind. If you run a tech company or if you invest in tech companies, it's strongly advisable that you build a relationship with the folks at Pacific Western. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. Yeah, I hear you on the driving in California. We, <laughs> we lived out in Santa Barbara for a few years, and I kept an office in Duarte, which is outside of Pasadena. And I would drive down there once a week, and it was all. So yeah. curious, do you do deals that you have not met the founders in person? In the TCA world, there's quite a few members that if the founders aren't at the screening, there's a whole group of members that just won't fund it. If the founders haven't made a priority to be there, then we're not priority. Now, that's the TCA hat. So I'll take that hat off and I'll put on kind of my crowdfunding hat. Absolutely. I'll make a substantial investment without meeting the founder in person. I'll call them and maybe spend an hour on the phone. And I focus on a few things, but kind of the primary element is where are they going? Because we're going so early, where are you going? What are you going to do with this thing? Do they have some, are they fun? Like, are they fun people and like, like to have fun? I mean, I live in San Diego, man. And everyone thinks I live on the coast and I don't. I live five miles inland, which is basically the difference between living in the desert or not. (laughs) (laughs) So to answer the question, yes, I personally do. Tech Coast Angels, we typically, we like to know the people, 
keep our money focused on the ecosystem of San Diego. There are exceptions. We do syndicate in deals regularly. Those deals just don't typically raise as much money as a homegrown deal. We touched on this before, but can you talk about what you're currently most focused on, whether it be Seed San Diego or efforts at TCA? Yeah, I think we're in this early stage like any startup would be in is is trying to find who we are and how we're going to solve elements of the San Diego ecosystem intelligently, strategically, so that we can be most effective. I don't want to put a dollar amount on how much we're going to put to work, but I think it's substantial enough that it will make an impact. We're all TCA members, so TCA is going to be a fundamental part of our process. And the other 50% of my time is divided up between founders, my role with Tech Coast Angels, and really pushing on the processes that over the last couple of years we've put in place to maintain contact and outreach within the community. To put things in context, in 2012, TCA San Diego put to work about $4.5 million dollars. In 2013, we put to work 7.3 million. In 2014, we put to work 8.3 million dollars. Now, in context, that for an angel network, that's good. I mean, 8.2 or 8.3 million into 16 companies in one year. Essentially, that's one deal a month. That's just amazing. And so I would say my time right now is 50% Seed San Diego, figuring out how we can plug into the ecosystem and add value. 25% Tech Coast Angels, and the rest of the time is dedicated to founders. I have cut back on some of my outreach stuff, interviews like this, some of my panel things. I'm starting to get more focused on where I can add the most value. And instead of doing a panel, maybe I do a workshop and I invite some of my companies in. I invite other companies from the community that I think could add value to the discussion. And we spend four hours doing that. And that has seemed to be more impactful to the ecosystem than me talking for three minutes on how much money I put to work in San Diego or anything like that. I I don't think that's relevant. I think what's relevant is how are we fundamentally shifting our focus from funding to funding great businesses? If you have a great business, funding's not a problem. So let's go find the great CEOs, the great thinkers of our community, fund them. Any ideas for great workshops that maybe we could hold out here in Chicago? Yeah. So one of the things that I like is when there's always these big questions around valuation. That's like founders always want to know, how do these angels come up with valuation? So what I like to do is get people that actually have done enough deals. Their answer isn't a standard method, but more revolves around critical thinking. An example would be, I use the Berkus method only as gate number one. And then I have my rules. And then you have to spend time with me. And then on top of that, you have to be better than everything else I've seen in the last 60 days. So when founders start to realize that the thought process isn't the 15 minutes that they spent with you and they expect you to write a check, (laughs) when they realize that, I like getting people that kind of have a process in place that they can talk to it and then walk them through it. That really helps. So I did one at at Evo Nexus here in downtown San Diego, where we brought in the next cohort of startups. And we spent, I think it worked out to be about two hours. It was just me. We went through all of the elements of submitting an application to TCA. How do you go about funding? And it wasn't the dry conversation that you would think it was. It wasn't the well, you go to techcoastangels.com and you answer these five <laughs> questions. That was not it. What it was, was me spending 
probably 15 minutes just going through fundamentally, this is how it works. You fill out an application and you do this. And then they're like, oh, is that it? And I said, yeah, that's it. What are you talking about? Like, you're supposed to be here to teach us. And I said, the only way for the 12 of you to learn is for you to tell me who your target investor is. And I'll tell you, all of them hadn't thought about it as critically as you would have hoped. I wanted them to be able to go, my investor is activist in the community for this type of thing. And they understand this and that. And all of them nailed, they, they need to understand the space. And at that early stage, I agree, they need to understand the space. But they're not all going to be that way. It was a great workshop. They all walked away going, I need to better understand who my investor is. What does that mean? That means the next time you meet somebody who's an investor, don't ask them how much money they put to work last year. Don't ask them how many deals they're in. Talk to them about what they've done before. Talk to them about elements about how they participated post-funding because that's a big deal. Especially these early stage guys, they need help. Talk to them about who helped them line up their next stage of funding for the last startup they were in or the last deal they, they did or Talk to them about what their goals are when it comes to funding deals. And a lot of them will give you kind of cloudy answers. Those aren't the right investors. You want to go and meet the guy who tells you, look, I love what you're doing. Tell me more. So yeah, an hour and a half or an hour workshop turned into two. Half the room wanted to really understand more about the process, which was interesting considering most of them weren't raising money. They were more intrigued by like, how did this guy who grew up in a lumberyard sweeping floors end up where he's at now? And he's telling me I shouldn't care too much about the process. I should get to know my investors. And that's counterintuitive to most processes. So Eric, if we could cover any topic in venture investing, what do you think should be addressed and who would you like to hear speak about it? I would like to hear Mike Kern from San Diego Venture Group, talk about how he's connecting the startup community to Series A funding. And Mike Kern's the new president of San Diego Venture Group. He's doing a really good job of keeping everyone focused. Though I meet with him regularly, I think that listeners and the community would love to hear more about what he's doing because it's amazing. And Eric, what is the best way for listeners to connect with you? Sure. Eric Gasser's at Eric, E-R-I-C, at ericgasser.com, E-R-I-C-G-A-S-S-E-R.com. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, AngelList. I'm there. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today, Eric. I had a lot of fun, and uh, I think the people will enjoy hearing all about the ecosystem and how San Diego has evolved. Yep. Thanks. Thank you to Eric for spending his time with us. Let's recap some of the key takeaways. Number one is the connectivity of capital sources and entrepreneurs. Eric cited a key factor for the success of the San Diego ecosystem being the collaboration between key players. When an entrepreneur is raising a seed round or a Series A, it is clear where they need to go and who they need to speak with. When investors review a startup, regardless of whether it's a fit for them, it's clear how to direct that startup and who to link them up with. This seems to be a very supportive ecosystem where many are working together and not against each other. Often we think about deal flow as a competitive advantage and thus it becomes competitive. But today's material can show that organization and collaboration between the investment community and entrepreneurs can move past a zero-sum game to more value creation for all. 
Key takeaway number two is the mismatch of expectations. Eric talked about the great businesses up and down the coast that fall into the lifestyle business category. They are very promising businesses that should be supported and encouraged. But he did cite that there's often a mismatch of expectations with the startup founders. While these are great businesses that have high potential to grow, an investor needs to make at least a double-digit multiple on their investment. With most lifestyle businesses, this will never be a reality. So fundraising for equity is not the ideal path. For both investors and for founders, we all need to understand each other's expectations. It can be much less painful if the discussion is had up front. And key takeaway number three is the three types of investors. Eric's advice here was for startups to understand what types of investors to target and how to position themselves with each. It seemed to him that there can be a lot of time and effort wasted with a shotgun approach toward raising capital from early stage investors. Are you targeting people with experience in the sector or vertical? Do they need to intimately understand and have felt the problem being addressed? Or is the startup providing some sort of benefit to society that may get a critical mass of passion investors behind it? Eric's three example investors included the passion investor, the industry investor, and the academic or analytical investor. So to paraphrase Eric, when a startup is asking for money, they shouldn't be asking how many deals one has done. They should be asking what types of business an investor has invested in and are passionate about. We often think about passion when it comes to founders, but this clearly plays both ways. All right, let's move on to our tip of the week. And this week's tip is the value add or the value suck. On today's installment, we talked a lot about the relationship between investors and entrepreneurs. We've even had previous guests on the show that have discussed the value add that one should bring to a startup as an investor or advisor. But this is a polarizing topic with some distinct positions. While many speak on the benefits of investor-founder fit and the tremendous value that investors can bring to the table, others disagree. Fred Wilson has said for years that the contribution from investors is very limited and any startup worth their salt should not be choosing investors for what they can contribute. The good startups don't outsource responsibility. Charlie O'Donnell recently wrote about how entrepreneurs select VCs, and not surprisingly, the founder decision criteria had nothing to do with what the value the investor was bringing to the table. If we take a step back and ask, can an investor help a startup achieve their objectives faster and cheaper? I think the answer is yes. But if the question changes to, is an investor the difference between startup success and failure, the answer is more fuzzy and probably should be no. Remember that bets are made on exceptional teams building tremendous value and expansive networks. I question whether the difference between success and failure really comes down to the facilitation of a venture capitalist. It seems that if these teams are truly exceptional, they will find a way. But now let's look at the other side of the investor coin, the Russ Hanneman character from the latest episode of HBO Silicon Valley. The Valley douchebag is alive and well and won't be going away anytime soon. While this character is an amalgam of personalities and represents an extreme, it also reveals maybe even a more common scenario, the value suck investor. 
These are the investors that require frequent status conversations, attempt to influence major decisions based on their experience, which may or may not be appropriate. They set up meetings, introductions, or side projects that are a complete waste of time. And we have all probably encountered the obvious versions of these investors, or at least had a boss that fits this profile. While their money may be good, the experience thereafter will be anything but. So while we often hear the encouragement of the VC blogging community to find the best investor, one that understands the sector and business model and will provide a huge value add, today I say dodge the bullets. If one finds the perfect investor that shepherds the startup to success, more power to them. But maybe instead, find the investor that doesn't get in the way, that lets the entrepreneur be the exceptional leader that they are. As a co-investor, I'd rather avoid bad money than find the great money. That's it for this week. For show notes and resources, head over to thefullratchet.net and join the growing list of readers at Venture Weekly, the top 10 VC and angel written articles of the week. We find and curate the 10 best so you don't have to, and they're all organized into a weekly issue at ventureweekly.net. Thanks for listening today, and remember to over-prepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. See you again next week. Thank you.